Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Grant. I am married. I have one wife, two children, and one grandson. And, and that is the normal way to start a sermon in Africa. Actually, it usually takes about 15 or 20 minutes to do that part. Uh, because in Africa, if you preach to a group of people and they don't know you, why should they believe you? They need to know who you're related to. They need to know whether you are related to Jesus, most of all. So I assure you, uh, the Lord Jesus is my Savior. My wife and I served in Ethiopia, where I was the bishop for the Horn of Africa for six years. During that time, there were... Uh, a few periods when tensions would build up in our region. There were groups of people who didn't like each other. I grew up in Canada. I am a Canadian, and we have two official languages, and we don't like each other. Ethiopia has 70 languages. Some of the people don't like each other. But sometimes the two major groups in our area would turn to violence. There was one point in which uh, there was some violence, a bomb was let off, uh, some guns came out, a few people were killed. We think that by the end of the couple of weeks, uh, 40 or 50 people had been killed. People were really tense and on edge. You could hear gunfire at night, although probably most of that was uh, the police firing guns into the air. But it was tense. So when things began to calm down a bit, we went to the market to try to replenish our food. In the center of the town was a market. You could buy fruit and vegetables and various things. So we were there. There were a lot of people milling around, buying their, buying their stuff. Uh, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we heard bang, 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 bang. And everybody in the place scattered. Everybody ran. Then suddenly people realized and began to laugh because it was a motorcycle backfiring. But everybody, everybody had this level of fear and anxiety that caused them just to be ready to flee at a moment's notice. Imagine how the disciples felt after their leader, Jesus, had been arrested put through a sham trial and crucified by a combination of Jewish religious leaders and Roman political authorities. When the leader of a movement, particularly one accused of being a terrorist movement, which is what Jesus was accused of being, when other members of that movement experience their leader taken away, they know that the authorities are after them as well. And so our reading this morning from the gospel 
begins on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The disciples are afraid. They've locked the door. It says that twice in this, in this story. They are afraid of the persecution that is going to come their way. They're afraid that maybe they will be the next ones put on crosses. But notice when this happens. John says, John just could have said, well, it was, it was in the evening one day, but he says it was the evening of that day, the first day of the week. He could have said it was the evening of the day that Jesus rose from the dead, because just before that, we learn that Jesus has risen. Mary Magdalene has met him. Uh, the, Jesus has sent Mary to tell the apostles that he is risen. She becomes what the Roman Catholic Church calls the apostle to the apostles. The first preacher of the resurrection, Mary Magdalene. John could have said that. He could have said on the evening of the day of the resurrection. But he says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. First day of the week. The first day of the week is the day when God began to create the world. This idea of creation rings through this story. We'll see more of that in a minute. So they're there. They're, they're there gathered on the first day of the week. They're locked inside the upper room and they're afraid. And Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus came. They weren't expecting Jesus. They weren't out looking for Jesus. Mary said he was risen from the dead. Did they believe her? If they believed her, they might have been out looking for her. They might have been going to check out this tomb. Two of them did. But now they're back in the upper room. The rest of them don't seem to be willing to go and look in that tomb. But Jesus came. Jesus doesn't just come when we expect him. And Jesus doesn't just come when we search for him. Actually, he searches us out. Uh, Psalm 23 uh, probably the most familiar psalm to most people, uh, says that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. At least that's what most English translations say. Actually, the, the Hebrew word there for follow is pursue. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue you all the days of your life. Jesus has pursued the disciples. He has found them in the upper room. And he comes and he says, peace. Well, shalom is the normal Jewish greeting. But they needed to know peace. They were afraid. They needed peace. Twice in this passage, in this, on that first day of the week, Jesus says, peace be with you. He repeats it. Then he says it again later on. And then things begin to change a little bit. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They're glad. The response when Jesus finds them is joy. And they saw the Lord, John says. We need to step back a bit and think about what seeing the Lord means. This is a big theme in the Bible. And it's pretty clear for most of the Bible that people simply don't see God and can't see God. It's too dangerous. 
No one can see God and live, the Old Testament says. And on those few occasions, Ezekiel chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 6, when the prophet says that they saw the Lord, they never describe what he looks like, only what's around him. So Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. And what does he tell us about? He tells us that the train of his robe filled the temple. He doesn't tell us what God looks like. It's all indirect. Moses sees God's back. But John picks up on this theme in the Old Testament. The Gospel of John, right at the beginning, in the first chapter, says, no one has seen God at any time. But Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, He has made Him known. No one has seen God But Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is God with skin on, as somebody put it. The resurrection stories in this gospel emphasize this idea of seeing Jesus. First Mary Magdalene thinks the risen Jesus is the gardener until he calls her by name and then she recognizes him and he gives her the commission to go and Tell the disciples. And what she do? She says, I have seen the Lord. The idea of seeing Jesus will recur later in the story. Now we get to the crux of the story and the reason why this story is here in the lectionary on World Mission Sunday. Verse 21 says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. Missionaries are people who are sent. Most of the Gospels talk about this idea of the disciples being sent. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he sends them out into the world. Matthew says that as you are going, make disciples of all nations. Luke says that they are to preach to all nations. In the book of Acts, Luke reiterates this and says that you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the Gospels and the book of Acts emphasize this idea of the disciples going out into the world and being missionaries in the world. But in John, it's a little different. It doesn't say where. It doesn't say go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It doesn't say go into all the world, go to all nations. It's, it's more about how they are to go. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I send you. The mission of the disciples is the continuation of the mission that God initiated by sending the Son. This should have made the disciples a bit worried. If they were afraid before, they should be worried now. Since the mission of Jesus ended in the cross. As the Father sent me, even so I send you. If Jesus went to the cross, where are the disciples going? Perhaps at this point they remember what he said, take up your cross and follow me. But the primary message here is that mission is not something, primarily, not something we do. It's not primarily something individual Christians do or even something that the church does. Not first of all. 
Mission is, first of all, something God does. God is the missionary. God loves the world so much that he sends the Son. God the Son takes on our humanity in his love for us and suffers and dies and rises again for us. That is mission. God's mission to save the world. But now Jesus says, you are recruited into this mission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The task which began in the heart of God, in the very mind of the Trinity, is now passed on to the early church and through them to us. Verse 22 goes on and says, When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's a very strange thing to do. Uh, I think most of us would not treat the person who walked into the room and breathed on anybody very kindly. Jesus is doing a prophetic, symbolic action here. It's like the prophets in the Old Testament did very strange things to make a point. Breaking pots, uh, running around naked, lying on their side, all kinds of weird things prophets in the Old Testament did. So Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. In both Greek and in Hebrew, the word spirit also means wind or breath. This action of Jesus must have reminded the disciples, who by this point are pretty well trained in the Bible, about two biblical stories in particular. The first one is from Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of the Bible. God takes clay and he makes Adam. But then he breathes into him and he becomes a living person. There's another story in the Bible, about God's wind, God's breath, that I'm sure the disciples must have thought about at this point. And that's Ezekiel 37. And you, I know you know this story because you've heard the song. Ezekiel 37 is a passage about dead bones, dry bones. You know the Negro spiritual. Ezekiel looks over this valley and it's filled with bones. And Ezekiel says, the bones were very dry. And as the vision goes on, God speaks to Ezekiel and says, these bones are the people of Israel. The people of Israel have been taken into exile in Babylon. The nation has been destroyed. The temple has been ransacked. They are without God's presence in the temple. They're without their land. All their institutions have been broken. So Ezekiel sees this valley of bones and God speaks to him and says, Son of man, can these bones live? Which gives us great instruction. If you are ever in a situation where God comes to you and asks you a question, Ezekiel provides you the answer. Ezekiel looks at God or up wherever God was, and says, you know 
That's the right answer. And God, God's wind blows over the bones. And the, there's a rattling, and the bones come together. And then skin appears on the bones. And they stand up, and God breathes into them, and they come alive. The people of Israel is going to be raised from the dead, God tells Ezekiel. And now we're in the upper room with the disciples, and Jesus breathes on the fearful disciples. Receive God's breath. Receive God's wind. God's spirit. They have no power of themselves to do the mission God has called them to. My wife and I went to Ethiopia. We'd been to Africa before. We'd lived in Kenya in the 1980s. We loved Africa. We went to this incredibly poor country, Ethiopia, to the worst possible part of that country, to Gambela, right near the South Sudan border, to work with people who were descended from refugees or who were presently refugees. We didn't speak their languages. We were from a different culture. What could we do? One thing we could do, we could depend on God because of ourselves, we had no power to help these people. This is true of anybody who goes out in any kind of mission. You need God's help. You need God's spirit to empower you. That's why we're here this morning, so that we can be sent out in the power of the spirit to live and work to God's praise and glory wherever we are, in our homes, our schools, in our businesses, to be God's missionaries wherever we are. Well, God, Jesus breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. That is the message of those who are filled with the Spirit and who have the message of Jesus who has died and, and has risen, the message is you can be forgiven. God loves you. No matter what you have done, God loves you. No matter who you have made yourself, God cares for you. And God is offering you forgiveness of sins. Now the scene shifts to Thomas, one of the twelve. But for some reason, he wasn't around on the first day of the week, when Jesus appeared to the disciples and breathed on them. But the disciples want to tell him what happened. They tell him that they've seen the Lord. There's that word again. They have seen Jesus. And he said to them, unless I see, not just Jesus, but his, the mark of the nails in his hands, place my finger in the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Seeing is believing, says Thomas. So eight days later, number eight is important too. Remember the Jewish week, just like our week, had seven days. That's where we got it. The eighth day is the beginning of the new week, the beginning of the new creation. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked... Still a little afraid, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Again, Jesus counters their fear with his peace. Somehow, Jesus knows Thomas's challenge to him. Jesus knows that Thomas had said, unless I see, unless I put my finger, unless I put my hand. So Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We are not told that Thomas did that. We are told Thomas's amazing response to Jesus' challenge. My Lord and my God. Thomas becomes the first person in the New Testament to say explicitly that Jesus is God. The Gospel of John has actually come full circle at this point because the Gospel of John begins with that amazing passage which we read at Christmas time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in the passage, John lets us in. The Word is Jesus. But right at the beginning, he says, that Word is God. And now Thomas gets it. He acknowledges the lordship and the divinity of Jesus. And instead of seeing, becoming, believing, for Thomas, believing becomes seeing. He believes and he sees who Jesus is. These two stories confront us with some powerful lessons on this World Mission Sunday. The first lesson is that mission is God's mission. That doesn't let us off the hook, but what it says is that God is the primary actor in this story, in the story of the world, in the story of the church. In his love, the Father sent the Son in the power of the Spirit so that the world would be saved through him. It's all God's idea. It's all God's initiative was planned before he created the world. Secondly, God sends the church in the power of the Spirit. Secondly, he sends the church in the power of the Spirit. Our strength will fail us, the old hymn says. Remember that hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus? The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. The arm of flesh will fail us. But God's Spirit holds us up. God's Spirit gives us life and enables us to participate in God's mission in the world. Only God's breath can allow us to be missionaries in the world. Thirdly, first, the mission is God's. Secondly, the mission is ours in the power of the Spirit. But thirdly, the message of the mission is that people can believe and in believing, they can see Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, they can receive life. They can receive forgiveness. The mission brings salvation to the world, to a world deeply in need of it. Now, salvation is this religious word. 
Sometimes we need to just stand back and say, what does that mean? It's a very simple word. You know, if somebody is over, has fallen overboard from a ship, there's, it's an SOS problem, right? Save our souls. Salvation is about being rescued. This is what Jesus has done, and, and this is the ministry Jesus calls us into. A ministry of rescue of people who are perishing because they don't know the message of Jesus. My wife and I uh, had a great privilege, an amazing privilege of living among some of the poorest people in the world. People who couldn't read, people who didn't have clean water, people who usually didn't have enough to eat, people who were in danger a lot of the time for various kinds of reasons. And share life with them and share joy with them. I was saying earlier today that one of the things that always amazes people when they would visit us in Ethiopia and come to worship with us in one of the African churches was that these people who had nothing had, did have one thing. They had joy. When they worshipped, they were just expressed their love for Jesus in such obvious ways. They were filled with joy. Not because they had things, not because life was easy, but because they knew God loved them because of what they'd learned about Jesus. Jesus wants to give us life, wants to give us forgiveness, and wants to give us joy today as well. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life that you have given us. And we thank you for the gift of new life that you've given us in Jesus. Fill us with your spirit today so that as we leave here, we can carry the message of Jesus with us by what we say and by how we live and by what we do in every aspect of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.